Hello, 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 and welcome to Capital Musings, the UNCDR podcast where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor in the 46 least developed countries. I'm Eduardo Tancioni, your host. You can find Capital Musings on your preferred streaming platform or directly on our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. The governments of Kenya and Portugal co-host the Ocean Conference to co-define priorities over the decade of action for the oceans, running from 2021 to 2030. The Ocean Conference comes at a critical time as the world is seeking to address many of the deep-rooted problems of our societies laid bare by the COVID-19 pandemic. This will require major structural transformations and common shared solutions anchored in the 2030 Agenda for Sustainable Development. To mobilize action, we at UNCDF have decided to dedicate this new season to oceans with a new series called Protecting Our Oceans, where we will talk about the specificities, science-based innovative solutions that we can jointly take action upon to galvanize global support to our oceans. Today, I'm excited to be joined by two colleagues from the Asian Development Bank, who are at the forefront of defining actions for sustainable ocean-based economies. I'm pleased to welcome Mr. Anush Mehta, head of the ASEAN Catalytic Green Facility and country director of ABB's Thailand Resident Mission, and Monsieur Guilain de Vallon, Senior Infrastructure Specialist for Innovation and Green Finance at the ADB. Welcome, Anoja Guilain. Thank you for joining us. Pleasure to be here. Thank you very much for the opportunity to join this podcast. Thank you. Hello, Eduardo. Thank you very much. So can you both share with us three words that best describe your life journey thus far and what they mean to you? Thank you. So my journey life, I will start with the, the word classic, like classic education, north of France. I'm a French citizen, classic education, classic college university, then a classic research of jobs, the first world. The second world would be abroad. Like after classic, I wanted something different, different from Normandy, different from north of France, a bit of different. And then I looked around and during my job research, I looked for finance institutions that could offer me this abroad opportunity. And doing so, I stumbled across some concealed French development institution that has changed many times names since then, that allowed me to come into this quite fascinating world of development banking. The third world, this is a bit of combination, development banking. These two, two worlds are very uh, fascinating in their daily use. So classic, abroad, and development banking. Oh, Gilas put it so well, Eduardo. <laughs> Let me try and offer my three words. When I'm asked about my life's journey, I think two or three things which always come out. One is East. And so a bit like Gila, I have an interesting life story where I've grown up in Europe and in the UK, but I've worked in both East and West and extensively in Europe. But then over the last 16 years, a lot in Asia, almost every part of Asia. So that combination of East and West experience, work, life defines quite a lot of what I think and do and bring together different parts of the world. That's number one. I think number two is public and private. And especially nowadays when everyone talks so much about private capital and the role of government and things like that, I've worked in both. And work is such a big part of life that for the last 28 years, I've worked both in the very intensely private sector, your classic investment banking in London, but also in deeply development-focused entities like, of course, the World Bank, the Asian Development Bank, and the UN to an extent. 
And so that is another important part of life. And I think the third is what I would call environment as well as finance, combining those two areas, which is very strongly focused on finance all my life. That's been my academic background. That's been my professional experience, but intensely applying it to protection of the environment and working on climate change aspects, which is a very nice bringing together of two very different aspects of life, as it were. And I think those three things define quite a lot of where I am today. Back to you, Edward. Thank you so much, both of you. I think on the one hand, we have more of a classic abroad and development banking. And on the other hand, we have East-West, public-private, environmental finance, which seems like dichotomies at first front. But then actually we saw that or an oxymore in normal ways of looking at them. But actually, there's always some common ground from which we can grow all together. So thank you so much for sharing this. Now, Anush, I'd like to talk a little bit more with you now. Can you talk about oceans? So oceans, you know, that constitute a critical source for humankind, providing livelihoods to over 3 billion people worldwide. Yet human activity and other stresses, such as climate change and overfishing, are putting the health and integrity of oceans at risk. Why do you think it's so important to act now and invest in protecting our oceans? Thanks, Eduardo. And I think it's such an important topic to be discussing today because the world is talking extensively about climate change. And oceans is probably one of the most important facets within climate change. If I had to frame this argument about why oceans and why that focus now, oceans are responsible for absorbing one third of the world's CO2 emissions. So forests, oceans, if you look at it, those two aspects are critical Oceans biodiversity is under massive threat. So the capacity to absorb the growing CO2 emissions in the world are massively under threat. So if you take that as its connection to climate change, it has both a proactive as well as a reactive linkage to climate change. So what do I mean by that? So look at oceans in two ways. One is its own economic impact in the world. If you put the ocean economies together, and remember oceans is about sustainable tourism, there's fishing, there's coastal and marine-based services which are created along the coast, especially in places like Asia. The oceans, if you put all the economies of the world together based on oceans, itself is worth something like two, two to three trillion dollars as an economy. It's a very important part of the global economy. There are a billion people worldwide dependent on just the fishing industry from the oceans. Along with it, I was astounded when I looked at some of the numbers. If you just look at coastal reef tourism, just the tourism to basically look at diving and scuba, etc., 36 billion. I was astounded at the numbers. So in terms of its proactive impact on the world's economy, oceans is seriously important. It's effectively the seventh largest economy in the world. So that's one side of it. And that is under massive threat. And let's come back to that issue. The second is its reactive effect. So what you don't see so much, and this is where it absorbs one third of the carbon emissions of the world. So the greater the depletion of marine biodiversity of our oceans, the greater and faster the acceleration of climate change impact in the world. So you've got both of these two aspects which are so critical greater pollution going from land sources, the oceans from climate change, therefore reducing its ability to absorb CO2, and the greater amount of depletion 
of the protection from sea level. We have more and more impact from sea level rise, from flooding. One of the statistics that we speak about a lot nowadays is that seven big cities in Asia are under threat in the next few years, 2030, from massive overflooding already. Bringing it all back together, very strong contribution to the world's economy, very important for sustainable development, a very important aspect of climate change protection. Both of these are under massive threat, and the problem is time, because it's not somewhere very far away. We are saying in the next five years, in the next six years, there are more and more threats from sea level rise, a greater depletion of the ocean's ability to protect the CO2 emissions number, which is going to cause such a lot of suffering to living and livelihoods and lives. That is important to focus on the issue now. I'll stop there and give it back to you, Eduardo. Thank you so much, Anush. I think that you really set the stage for us on the different dimensions that one needs to be taken into account when looking at oceans. There's the economic side that is very important. You mentioned that it's the seventh largest economy in the world, but also the biodiversity implications and the fact that the specificity it has within it, both from a natural and environmental standpoint, needs to be protected in order to avoid its depletion because it's also a source of economic revenue for those populations that live in ocean-based economies. Now, Gilan, I want to move a little bit more on the economics of oceans. So let's dig deeper into that. So beyond biodiversity implications that luck support may imply, there's also a clear economic case to make when it comes to investing in oceans. So according to recent estimates, the blue economy is estimated to be worth 24.2 trillion US dollars in terms of assets, and is expected to grow at twice the rate of the mainstream economy. What's your sense on current investments in ocean-based economies in Southeast Asia? Do you think they're sufficient? What may be some of the barriers impeding them to crowd in? Thank you, Eduardo. Actually, ocean is really a new sphere, a new environment to work in for governments like financial institutions. This is not like green is already um, some of the experience aspect on which a lot of countries have worked on. Everything is mainstreamed in terms of measurement, in terms of verification, in terms of trajectory when it comes to green, or at least this is already in many strategies, in many plans at national and even local level. When it comes to ocean, that's brand new. This is really the unknown. The simple definition of blue, the simple definition of a blue economy, it's debatable. You have as many definitions as you have global players. You have definitions from World Bank, from NGOs, you have definitions from governments. They can be related to their economic zone, they can be related to employment, they can be related to conservation of assets. Multifaceted definition of one thing, we just agree on the fact that this thing has a lot of value, a lot of value to protect. And if we don't do that, then it will have a lot of costs. And we have to cover those costs as from today. That's basically what would define the ocean and the blue economy. There are many ways of tackling challenges that Anuj has laid out so brilliantly. But first, let's name those challenges. Development of economy versus sustainability. This is the first challenge. Why would you put money or borrow money when it comes to a government into sustainability? while you could use that money for job creation, for economy expansion. This is kind of a case we have to make and development finance institutions 
multilateral development bank, global development uh, institutions have to strongly make that case. This is not incompatible. It goes together, obviously. And this case is needing a lot of coalition to be broader developed and broader accepted. So the first thing is this incompatibility between economy and sustainability. The second thing is the cost associated to a developing project and blue economy and the risk that is also associated to those projects. It's also in the unknown. And this couple cost, risk, and return expected from those projects are sometimes natural of pushing back the investors. Any other challenges that we could obviously think about when it comes to ocean are metrics, measurements. How do we measure? How do we define the land? How do we define the area, the perimeter on which we will work on? This is completely fluid. Again, no pun intended here, but how do you work on something which is unstable? How do you work on something that is not being fully stable in international recordings? Second, after the metrics, maybe the standards, there is a lack of international standardization of measurement, of valuation, of verification of all the elements that are being part of the oceans. All that journey that has been performed for the green aspects of the economy have yet to be performed or conducted for the ocean and the blue economy. We need new sources of financing for oceans, a philanthropic NGO, civil society, in addition to uh, public development banks, sovereign public uh, spending. All those are completely insufficient to tackle all the challenges that, again, have been laid out by Anusha. The lack of financing, private financing is badly needed. And how could you have those private financiers interested in something you cannot measure, or you have difficulty to measure, difficulty to monitor, and you have an unexpected return on investment? So there's a role from multilateral development bank like ADB or global players to trigger the pump, to kickstart the move. And this is what we are all trying to do, you know, in view of Lisbon, trying to mainstream standardization, metrics, definitions. So we talk the same language and then we will try and coalesce in terms of commitment, in terms of effort to tackle the different aspects of oceans. So oceans, what are we talking about? We are talking about ecosystem, natural resource management, sustainable fisheries, aquaculture. These are very, very known areas of oceans, but we are talking also about pollution control, circular economy. Those kind of areas, sectors are absolutely not attractive in the sense that they are not yielding return that could be very tangible and on which investors can count. Sustainable coastal development, very fancy sectors like coastal and marine tourism or renewable energy, that's fine, but it's a lot of work to do yet to have some kind of a return point where the investment could yield a lot of a return actually without so much of resources. And then you have coastal resilience, talking about blue carbon, for example, blue forest. Uh, Anush said rightfully that the ocean is a huge carbon thing, a huge carbon thing on earth. Yes, this is. We all agree on that. This is the biggest carbon thing on earth. And when we want to achieve this net zero, that has been showcased in the last COP in Glasgow. It's not only uh, by mitigation, reducing the greenhouse gas emissions, it's also removing uh, those uh, carbon dioxide from the atmosphere. And this ecosystem, I'm talking here about mangroves, I'm talking here about seagrasses, I'm talking here about tidal marshes, but also seaweed. These specific sectors are still very unknown and their exploitation is just new. There's a lot to do about that. There's a market to implement, 
there are standardization of this market to set. There are players to find on the selling part, players to find on the buying part. This is all brand new, but you have no time. That's why this is as well exciting, but a little bit put us under pressure. Thank you so much, Gilan. I think you really touch upon so many different issues and so many different facets that one needs to take into account when talking about oceans. On the one hand, you refer to the lack of understanding, the lack of information, the unknown you define it when it comes to return risks, the costs associated to investing in oceans. And on the other hand, like trying to understand what are we talking about, what's in it, and how can we measure those different elements that constitute the ocean ecosystem in order to better understand it, but also invest in it and try to protect it as much as possible. And on that note, I think time is running out, but time is now, and we are all working together as partners in the lead up to the Ocean Conference to really start thinking about what needs to be done to share solutions and most importantly share southern perspectives from the countries themselves that live in those economies to see what the priorities are. And when it comes to understanding how as partners we can work together towards boosting up the resilience elements of those countries, work has been undergoing to defining it And we have lots of discussions when it comes to defining a multidimensional vulnerability index for small island developing states to really look at the different specificities that come into play in those specific country contexts to see what's working, what's not working, but also to prioritize what actions need to be taken in order to safeguard those economies themselves, but also the profits that they may have going forward. So I think we need a little bit of a brighter light now. I think we've talked extensively about challenges, lack of information, lack of players, but I think there's work that is ongoing and it's something that we're all working towards. So Anush, can you share with our audience what the Asian Development Bank is doing to bridge this financing gap that we've talked about? With pleasure, Eduardo. Before I get into it, since you've seen so many of the challenges so rightly mentioned by Gila, what exactly is the blue economy? What exactly are the kind of projects? And then what's the challenge? And if I underline the challenge, just to highlight what you've been discussing, in Asia, in developing Asia alone, we need something like about $1.7 trillion per year into climate resilient infrastructure, which includes, of course, the blue infrastructure. That's 1.7 trillion a year. In many countries, the financing gap between public and private sectors, between what's available from the public sector, what's needed from the private sector, there is a financing gap of almost 50% in many countries. That means that there is a gap in this requirement annually, which is getting bigger and bigger. So the biggest issue of our times, if you'd like, is creating a pipeline of bankable, credible blue infrastructure projects which can attract this amount of capital from the global pools of capital that exist. How do we do that? That's kind of what ADB has been focusing on. Now, if I then take it forward, ADB has always worked, of course, on projects related to pollution of river basins. I, in fact, started my own life in ADB in 2005 with Shandong High River Basin Pollution Project, which was 2005, long time ago. So we've been working on individual projects for a long time in terms of pollution on river, uh, coastal protection, etc. 
But in terms of bringing it together as three things to try and accelerate the momentum for action on the blue economy, I always come back to three things to try and focus on development of macro level policies by governments, to develop innovative finance instruments, which can accelerate the flow of capital and to develop a pipeline of projects. So it's policy instruments, as well as projects. I think that's what we've been working towards over the last few years. So I'll mention four things that ADB has specifically been doing to try and accelerate this momentum of capital that can flow into institutions, projects, and development of instruments. So in 2019, ADB announced one of the first such initiatives, which was an action plan for healthy oceans and sustainable blue economies. This was launched in 2019, very clearly focused on expanding, scaling up, if you like, finance and technical assistance for oceans, health, and marine projects in our region to $5 billion between 2019 and 2024. So this was a macro level policy. It identified four specific areas that we would prioritize to try and do the things I just mentioned, which is develop institutions, develop projects, create innovative instruments. And those four areas are, of course, most importantly, which is protecting and restoring coastal and marine ecosystems. So this is the protection side of things, which is on polluted rivers, on coastal infrastructure, et cetera. So that's number one. Number two is reducing the source of pollution, which is going into our oceans, which is the plastics that we talk about, the 8 million tons of plastics going into our seas, a lot from Asia Pacific, the wastewater, and not to forget also agricultural runoffs, very polluting, uh, a big source of pollution and making the rivers dead, which then connect to the oceans. So that's number two. Number three is really creating proactively the business or the economic opportunities and things like sustainable tourism or fisheries. And the number four is development of infrastructure in ports and coasts. So coastal or port infrastructure, green and if you like. So those are the four areas that we've focused on in the action plan, which was announced in 2019. And that's what has created the momentum, if you like, across our different regional departments to try and push or accelerate the number of projects, institutions and instruments that we are working on. Now, as a follow-up to that, We've been working on two or three other specific initiatives. And at a macro level, I've mentioned what we're doing, but we are also working on regional initiatives. So regionally, we've launched an initiative focused on developing blue and green bonds out of Southeast Asia, out of our office in Bangkok. So that is trying to create these instruments. That's bonds, which can catalyze financing. Also a specific hub, which I'll let Gila talk about since he heads that. We've also launched an incubator for blue bonds. And this is perhaps one of the first such incubators, which was launched by ADB in 2022 in Palau. It's a blue bond incubator, which is really to try and create these instruments which can catalyze financing into oceans projects. So a very important initiative which ADB has launched. We also launched, of course, our first blue bond itself in September 2021, which is important, Eduardo, because... It brings a lot of focus from the finance that we've raised to basically say that, yes, this money is being used specifically to develop blue projects under a specific framework. I think what we've been working on to accelerate the momentum is create a macro level policy. That was the Oceans Action Plan in 2019. 
We've then followed it up with specific projects that we're working on across the region. I'm working on a scale-up of a marine finance facility in two of our countries in Southeast Asia. We've created a, a blue bond issuance by ADB in 2021, and we've created an incubator for blue bonds so that we can help other countries issue blue bonds in addition to providing technical assistance for development of projects and other innovative instruments. So quite a lot being done. And if I can give it a very big picture, if you like, Eduardo, about how we are approaching it from a macro level, but let me bring it down to a very simple level. And referring to what Gila was saying earlier, developing bankable blue projects, how difficult this is in oceans, where the revenue line is not very clear, and therefore the return to, for example, a private investor is not very clear. That's a big challenge. So somebody has done research on this, one of our sister institutions, which talks about the value of tourism around a single shark. And this has been estimated, very interesting, it's been estimated that a single shark has a value economically for tourism, for people who go for doing scuba diving to spot a shark, of almost $1.92 billion over its lifetime. Now, that is a real hard number. How do you convert that into a project which does, for example, marine biodiversity protection, what very often is called marine protected areas, so that you stop overfishing and convert the overfishing activities into tourism activities. Now, that is the challenge that we are trying to grapple with. How do you convert the value of tourism from doing a shark sightseeing, if you like, in tourism into an infrastructure project where you can combine public and private financing to create a scale-up of infrastructure for sustainable tourism, for protecting the pollution going into the rivers, et cetera. And that's what we are trying to do. If I bring it down to the very small and a simple example, if you like. Thank you so much, Anush. I think it's very comprehensive. You've touched upon uh, some important elements that come into play when uh, trying to define actions, trying to attract private capital and more generally the capital that is needed in order to preserve and to make it work. This time is around oceans, that's what we're discussing, but also in other elements, especially in emerging economies, that's a little bit the challenge to, to really gauge what we are defining, how we like quantify it, what's the monetary value that comes into play. So I think how you described it in terms of not only the technical assistance level, both in terms of SMEs or other smaller entities in order to create bankable projects, but also the ecosystem at the macro level to the countries that we work with so that there's an enabling environment, so to speak, that allows for the capital to flow, in this case, to boost ocean preservation, ocean conservation. Now, you've talked a lot about different initiatives. So the need to create instruments, some incubators that you've created, as well as the first blue bond in September, 2021. I heard you mention some hubs that you have. So I would like for Gilan to talk to us a little bit more about those and share with us some concrete examples of what Anoush has described and how it would look like. So, for example, I saw that you have something called the Blue Sea Finance Hub. Can you tell us a little bit more about that, Gilan? Yes, very happy to, Eduardo. Actually, Anu just covered many, many things, but before going to the Blue Hub, Blue Southeast Asia Finance Hub, C standing for Southeast Asia, I would like to say one thing. Anu talked about policy instrument project. I would add 
if I may, that awareness is also key. This is critical awareness of population in terms of the challenges uh, ahead of us, but in terms of, for example, pollution that is already a rough act or doing. Why I'm saying that? Because as much as we want, uh, like a development finance institution or any uh, like-minded uh, organization, move things all way, as long as the population or the government we are working with are not on the same line in terms of targets, in terms of achievement, we will perform nothing. If I take Indonesia, where we have set very recently, end of uh, last year, this Blue Sea Finance Hub in Jakarta, nothing could be done without impetus from the government of Indonesia. We have to get this by in. Obviously, Indonesia, as the first archipelago in the world, is very much aware of all the challenges pertaining to blue. Very much aware. Now, how does it translate into projects? How does it translate into a concrete doing and changes that could align with the national commitments that Indonesia has given itself on heralded on what we call the national determined contribution and that has been laid out to UNCCC and revised very recently. So how do we do that? First, we have to get this buy-in. So there's a lot of not advocacy, but going together with all the other institutions speaking the same language, hence the importance of definition, mainstreaming. So what is a Blue Hub? The, the Blue Hub is, is the, a gathering of energy, a platform, a multiplayer of what a multitude, an array of players on the blue sectors are already doing. With the strength of ADB and, and other organizations we're working with, we will try to streamline blue and blue economy and sustainable blue economy into the planification process, into the budget process, into the implementation process in Indonesia for blue project to see the light instead of any other project that could be prioritized, but not at the expense of any other project. We try to be uh, inclusive. So what are we doing concretely? Anush talked about this blue bond, that's very new um, uh, capital market instrument kind of derivation of a green and social and sustainable bonds that are already existing. This is the next level. Uh, still needed some kind of standardization and all the global players are working on that. I, I bet and I expect that in Lisbon, a lot of announcements will be done, will be said about this common thread. So we are trying to support the government of Indonesia towards this blue finance roadmap whenever and wherever they want to go blue. You know, Indonesia has already issued green bonds. Now it's time maybe for them to issue blue bonds. They will be the third maybe in the world of this magnitude if we are thinking about millions of euros in, let's say, 500 million, 600 million. I don't know. I, I, I don't want to preempt that, but they will be the, the, the first to issue uh, such an instrument. If they do so, we will be very, very proud to be the one to accompany them towards that journey. And this is what we are doing. How do we do that? We capture projects or we capture some definitions that are not being encapsulated yet onto the national framework. National framework are that those documentation that are defining the eligibility criteria of any proceed of a bond. So this is very technical, but this is what we are doing. And I hope a very uh, virtuous, uh, virtuous uh, aim. Second, we try when it's possible to add the sustainable blue component to any blue project or blue economy project that could lack this kind of component. When you think about fishing port uh, expansion, for example, it might be a bit costly to add some renewable energy onto the new facilities or to add some drainage 
facilities around the facilities to make it less liable in terms of leakage and better practice in terms of waste management, for example. We can add some touch in terms of certification for products process product, not only for export and economy purposes, but also for the good of it and sustainability practices. So the Blue Hub is also trying to identify those projects and to make them more blue, to bluish them somehow, always with the buy-in of the government at the central and local level. We are trying to catalyze private finance because this is what's lacking and we said it extensively. And to do that, we have set a very, I would like to say, Maybe hopefully an interesting concept with the UN Development Program, UNDP. It's called Blue Finance Accelerator. It could be up and running a second semester of this year. This Blue Finance Accelerator will be an accelerator as such for SMEs that are very pertinent in blue sectors. SMEs are startups. There is very interesting technology. You could have technology in renewable energy, in, in ocean thermal energy, in sustainable fisheries, in, in conservation, in whatever. Okay, but you need to scale it up. So we will select and identify those SMEs. We will accelerate them. At the same time, we will train government officials at that local level, those who have decision-making power to make a project happening. We'll train them to better prepare, structure, implement a project. And then we will do what we do best, trying to advocate for those projects to be prioritized by the government of Indonesia to receive funding. And then we all win if the project is being well-prepared, well-structured, implemented, as long as in terms of expected output, obviously it benefits to the local communities and the loop in terms of inclusiveness is complete. And this is very important for us. On the margin of that, we have some, again, uh, let me use the word fancy instrument that we are looking at. We talk about parametric insurance and we have developed one pilot project of parametric insurance with ADB. It could be scaled up. Indonesia is definitely a good client for that. We are thinking about debt for nature. What is it, debt for nature? This is when government decide to convert their commercial debt to a nature-based indicator debt. Whenever they reach some criteria in terms of achievement, in terms of conservation, protection, restoration of some specific sector, then the pricing will be less. This is an incentive, a powerful incentive. And this is something that is really accelerating the development of conservation projects. So those are uh, two specific instruments I wanted to mention as a concrete effort for the hub, maybe to implement in addition to these policy actions, to the technical assistance that we will extend to many projects that need project preparation and scalability or visibility or additional coup de pouce, if you allow me, kickstart. All those efforts that the Blue Hub will implement. For that, we will... I think be liable to, let's say a figure, because we are a bank, so we want to achieve 300 million additional blue project by end of 2025. If it's not 2024, let's be uh, very ambitious. We have to be, to do more than that, and we will do more than that. We will not do that alone. We'll do that with all the development partners. And we will look into each other pipeline and try to just bluish all of those and expand their uh, and join forces on doing so. And whenever this pilot is a success, and I hope it will be, and we hope it will be, it will be uh, derivated towards other ASEAN uh, big countries. I'm thinking here, uh, obviously, Philippines, Thailand, where uh, Anuj is just residing now and being country director of the ADB mission there. I'm thinking Cambodia, 
uh, all those projects are pilot initiative that we will run and conduct in Indonesia. We will try to reflect, translate into specificities of, of other countries. That's what we are aiming to do. There's a lot of expectations, a lot of credibility issues. So we need to be legitimate. We need to be quick and we need to see big. Thank you so much, Guilain. I think you really touched upon some very interesting initiatives that you're pursuing. And I think it's very exciting. And we look forward to looking at how they will unfold over the coming months and years. Now, it's funny, like when you were talking about the Blue Bond, that's something that also at UNCDF, I think there's lots of synergies with uh, what you were describing, all working towards that. And I think it's important that we don't duplicate, but we also build on each other's experiences. So when it comes to Blue Bond, I think we can also look at how UNCDF and UNDP are working towards supporting the government of Fiji to develop the framework for Fiji's new blue bonds and design investable projects to be financed by the bond proceeds. So I think there's lots of sharing notes that we will continue to do. And hopefully these experiences can be scaled up going forward for everyone to benefit from. Now, we need to wrap up. So one sentence from each of you, the last word that you'd like to share with our audience. And I'd like you guys to think about the Ocean Conference, the importance of the Ocean Conference right now. Can you share in one sentence, one priority that you think we must be focusing on over the next decade to protect our ocean? Just one. Anush, over to you. (laughs) <laughs> that's, a, that's a big task, Eduardo, to convert everything that we've been speaking about into one line. But so if you allow me, what I would say is that my suggested one line would relate to the biggest challenge I see, especially given where I'm sitting in Asia. And given the fact that many of the cities that I love to live and work in, Jakarta, Manila, Bangkok, where I'm based now, and so on, are under massive threat of sea level rise and coastal flooding. I think seven cities, 15, 20 million people at risk in the next eight years. So that's now. If I had one big thing that I wanted to focus on with the greatest amount of concentration of need for infrastructure, people's lives, and which has an impact in terms of consumption patterns, even for sustainable tourism on the coast or for the use of products on the coast, it's the focus on our cities at risk. So what I would really say is critical is the development of blue bonds or blue financing vehicles like that at a city level or which are directed at catalyzing global capital into these big cities which are a threat from sea level rise. I'm putting my neck on the line by saying if there was one big priority, it would be the creation and the launch of a financing instrument like a bond or a similar vehicle. You could have a a city level uh, blue finance vehicle, which can basically draw the global pools of capital for blue projects. And why? Because the moment you say it is for these big seven, eight, nine cities in Asia that will address huge amount of issues related to scale, people's lives, of course, and have a knock-on effect on taking these instruments for replication in other parts of those 
member countries and regions. Yeah, so my big focus, if I had to do something, would be development of blue finance vehicles and bonds at these city levels to develop scalable number of blue projects quickly for protecting the cities and having a knock-on effect on blue projects. Let me stop there and hand over to Gila for his thoughts. Thank you, Anuj. Eduardo, I missed this word when you asked me to describe my life journey. I'm passionate about geography. And I heard, I have not seen it, that there is a new continent coming out of plastic now. What I would not want to give to my children is a new world map with a new continent. I don't want that. I don't want that. Wherever this continent is, it's not something I would like to see. I'm very traditional in my way of thinking geography. So let's go, Alice. Let's commit and let's be real. We have learned so much from the green journey. We have made huge strides. We can go quicker and we can be real very quicker. And Lisbon is first, the COP is second. Just let's do that. Indeed, let's do that. Let's work for our oceans. Let's coalesce, as you said, and let's make it happen, especially at city level, as we discussed with Anush. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much, both Anush and Gilan, for joining us today. It's been an utmost pleasure. I think it was a very, very informative session. Anything you can think of on Ocean Investing, I think we've covered today. So thank you so much for sharing your thoughts, sharing also the work that you you do on a daily basis on the ground. Our pleasure. And I hope uh, we see a lot more blue projects happening. And thank you for inviting us for this podcast, Eduardo. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Eduardo, for the opportunity. Thank you. And thank you to our audience for joining in on Capital Musings, the NCF podcast where we focus on fresh ideas that make finance work for the poor and make finance work for the ocean this time around. So if you like this episode, please give it a thumbs up, share it with your friends, colleagues. Once again, you can find us on Apple, Spotify and our dedicated website, podcast.uncdf.org. If you found this episode useful, please spread the word on Twitter with an hashtag Capital Musings or leave us a review. Reviews help us and new listeners discover our podcast. So if you enjoyed listening, please leave a review. Thanks and until next time.